Welcome to Who Told You That, a conversation about how we know what we know. I'm Kyla. I'm Scott. And I'm Dan. We are hosting a conversation about truth and how it became truth. We invite you to join us with your comments and questions. You can email us at whotoldyouthatpod at gmail.com. This is our flagship podcast, and we thought it would be best to start with a conversation about authority. The podcast is entitled Who Told You That? We are very interested in where people go to gather the information, the influence, the emotional um, support to make the decisions they make in their lives. Authority is happening constantly throughout the, the globe. Everything that is done by humanity has a root, has a, has a beginning in some authority that influences, that evaluates, that adjusts, that dominates, that uh, brings justice, that brings injustice. All human choice can be traced back to authority. Today, we want to try to answer these questions. What is authority? What qualifies as authority? How to judge authority, healthy or unhealthy? So in this first section of the podcast, we are going to try to come up with a decent answer to what is authority. Webster's Dictionary defines authority as a power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. You mean like one of my college professors? They were very different. Some of them taught us what to memorize. They were they were getting us to be able to regurgitate the traditional perspective on things. And then I had a couple seminary professors who made us think for ourselves, and they wouldn't give us answers. They would just ask us questions, and we asked them questions. And I could see when I was younger, there were, there were at least two different ways of exercising authority. One, one was the repository of knowledge, and the other one was uh, trying to help you learn how to find knowledge. I guess it's kind of like the difference between somebody who comes over and teaches you how to use your computer and somebody um, who does uh, uses a computer on your behalf. You mean like Geek Squad? Geek yes. Squad shows up, they do it for you. <laughs> Versus your buddy that comes over and teaches you how to use Word or Excel or whatever. Yeah, and I'm sure there's dozens of other methods of, uh, of exercising authority. But I remember back in Bible college and seminary realizing that different, maybe different temperaments, I don't know, different ways people were, were trained in their own, their own uh, teaching uh, history. They had definitely had different, a different feel of them, and they actually produced different kinds of students. I know guys that hated the question the question professors who would never answer a question directly, would always give you an, a question in response to your question. And I know a, a guy who was always 4.0. He, he got fantastic. He, he hated those classes. He wanted to know what the material was, how to, uh, what to memorize, and how to get his 4.0. That's kind of interesting because that's actually something I wanted to talk about in relation to what is authority, and that's how we interact with authority. And that professor that you mentioned that answers your question with the question, that's the type of learning that I like, someone that tries to make me think. If somebody just wants to give me answers and facts, I can do that, but I don't feel like I'm engaging with that authority, if you will. But I'm curious, how did you interact with those different types of authorities and different authorities throughout your life, for that matter? The authorities, well, start with my parents, you know, and then I had a, I had a pastor. I had teachers. I learned to drive at 16, so I paid attention to policemen. Um, 
the authorities that gave me a closed system gave me the answers and I had to like regurgitate the answers. I could do that and I, I got bored with that by the time I was finishing high school or first year of college. The authorities asked questions about my questions and made me go find answers and think for myself. Those were the, those were the authorities that prepared me to live life um, with, 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 a, with a lot more options, I'll say, than other people that grew up in church, went to a Bible college or got into ministry. I've always wanted to know why. So if you tell me that God does X, Y, and Z, I will say to you, well, how do we know that? Where is that from? Uh, I remember a professor who made us read Genesis 22 and said, we're only allowed to ask questions and say things that come from that chapter or the 21 chapters before it. And in that story, God tests Abraham and tells Abraham to kill his son Isaac. And so I loved the rules. The rules were, what's in the what's in the story. So I asked questions like, is God a monster? Did God know beforehand? Boy, that was really mean that he, he, he made Abraham think he had to sacrifice his son. He waited till the last minute. That would, that would be a real sadistic thing for a God to do. It would be a sadistic thing for anybody to do to anybody else. Anyway, and then it says, uh, and, and so God knows that Abraham loves him more than anything else, and so God will bless him. And I said, okay, so then, then following God and being blessed by God is a product of almost um, zombie-like trust. Um, and I suggested maybe, maybe God doesn't know the future. Anyway, I got an A. Then my buddy, who always got A's, he tried to ask questions like, well, you know, obviously God knew that uh, he, he, was, he was going to not kill Isaac. And so he was just testing um, Abraham. And so we know that God, you know, God's omniscient and, and, you know, he's loving. So he wouldn't do that. And he got a B minus because he kept trying to tie off the variables with answers instead of asking questions. And I really am grateful for that professor who taught me that um, any good question, once it's answered, presents you with 10 more questions. And that to have an answer to a question is to stop looking for an answer to that question. That's pretty good. So it sounds like your interactions with authority were fairly positive. Oh, not all of them. <laughs> In church, when I was a teenager, I had my best friend got pregnant when she was 15, and the elders in our church were a-holes about it, um, including her own father. Um, I saw a lot of behavior from men and women that were older than me that I thought should understand this love, generosity, how to follow Jesus thing, and their way of using authority was very totalitarian, even fascist. And uh, they could excommunicate you, shun you, turn the nose up at you, all in the name of you didn't submit to their authority. So, no, I, I experienced a decent amount of controlling, uh, not abusive. I mean, not, people have experienced incredible abuse. I use that word because that, that's what it is. But I had options. I could um, walk away from these people. I wasn't directly under their thumb. But a lot of a lot of church authority that was my way or the highway which 
caused me to look in different directions for what authority should look like. Okay, that that's fair. Um, Kyla, what curious? What were you? How do you? How did you interact with authority? You know, in maybe in your early life, or was it like a positive thing? Were you able to do what Dan did and like ask questions, or was it more of a, I don't know, a negative experience? Um, most of my early experience with authority was pretty negative and abusive, um, other than your family. Um, and um, so it's been kind of hard for me to like learn how to judge healthy authority because so where I'm at at the moment is kind of like, you know, all authority is out the window unless I see the fruit of it first. And then I'm and then I'm more willing to jump jump on it at that point after I've seen, you know, from a distance whether or not it's safe or not um yeah because in in my experience um um the people in my life that are supposed to care and be you know um positive influences and authority over me have used that in negative ways so um i know there's a lot of nuance to this discussion i think there are probably several different major tones or aromas to authority. But two of the ones that we've talked about and we think we've, both, we've all experienced is there's some kind of authority that makes you feel invited and included and valued. And there's an authority that makes you feel small and voiceless and afraid. Yeah, I've actually, I've had both of those. And funny enough, from sometimes from the same same person. So the same person has done both things. Yeah. Yeah, good, because this is very nuanced. Nobody's perfect. One yeah. of the things we'll say a lot in this podcast is if we're talking about something really, really negative or evil or a person, I guarantee you there's some good things about them. And if we're talking about something that we just love, I guarantee you something there's something negative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're, one, of the, one of the many thought tools that we're going to bring with us on this journey is um, not everything that is good is all good and not everything bad is all bad. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Most people like to just throw it at one side of the fence to the other. And the fact of the matter is so many things are on both sides of the fence at the same time. Maybe not as much on one side as the other, but they do they do straddle the fence as it were. So, yeah, no, it's um it's interesting that you have a lot of different interactions with authority as you go th go throughout your life and like you can you can be like yourself, Dan, where you have the option to opt in to some authorities and opt out, and then you could be on more towards Kyla's side of the spectrum where you you can't opt in and opt out as much as you want, and you you have to kind of be a bit more guarded with authority. And I think depending upon how you are raised, maybe that starts to dictate how you interact with authority as you get into like your not like your super formative years, but like, you know, your, your like early teens and maybe late teens, early twenties, like how you're still forming. How, how different do you think it is for a boy and a girl when it comes to authority? Cause I would say Oof. my early years were very controlling and a decent, decent amount of fear. I don't think my parents meant it to be fear, but the way the church worked and they agreed with the church, tons of fear. So at 13, I said, Screw you guys! I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> now is that a, is that a, is that something that is more available to a boy in this world and less available? What, I don't know, I don't know how to answer that because I do know that authority 
uh, and your posture toward it begins very, very early. And I know a lot of things in popular culture today are telling me I'm entitled because I'm a male. I don't disagree with that. And I can see how it was maybe easier for me to opt in and opt out as a guy. Mm-hmm. Carl, I don't know what you think, whether you think there's more options for a guy earlier in life when we're, when we're still in school. I think so, just because like um, kind of the culture for raising girls has been kind of like I heard this on a cult documentary the other day, like keep sweet. It's like you have to kind of remain nice and submissive. And um, so you don't really have as many options to opt out, you know, or it's just not really the culture for women as much as men. I feel like in the past, like it's starting to change now. um, And we have a lot more options now. And like, you know, you can go to authority figures and talk about things that aren't fair more now. But, um, you know, my own experience, like I was definitely under a thumb for like, quite a while so and i heard a i heard a um a survey that um showed that a majority of young girls had been so encouraged to use their outward appearance their mood their voice their tone um to get the things they wanted they've been called beautiful a lot by the time they're nine they have decided to place personal appearance appearance as their number one tool to use to get the things they want in life not their not their smarts not their hard work is that just all girls in general or is this like a certain demographic yeah it was a certain i can't remember the whole thing but i do do remember thinking as a guy how often i say to my granddaughters oh, you're you know you're so you're so pretty you're so beautiful in fact the last four or five years i made a point of telling them they're smart before i tell them that they're beautiful because i'm very aware that that's what they're being um, fed fed cultivated to, to establish their priorities that's not good they're not getting a fair shake and they need the authorities to tell them how smart how resourceful how funny you know how 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 strong, how courageous they are, as well as how beautiful they are. Yeah. Well, and I've definitely noticed, like again from personal experience and watching my sisters go through this too. Like, if you don't have that positive input um, on a regular basis like that, you are basically robbed of your your positive emotion in those areas and your self esteem in those areas because you develop your self esteem from what your authorities give you in the beginning, and that's very important. Well, something I was actually think asked wanting to ask the question of is does the the authorities for guys and girls like do do they need something different from authorities like if you're not getting i don't know it's like a, a a man to look up to as a young boy as someone that you can see and respect do you then choose to like opt out and if you're a girl if you're not getting love and affirmation do you then go look for it somewhere else like if you're not getting fed from the authority what you should be getting do you opt out and start looking for other places to get that what you need i feel like that has a lot to do with temperament of each you know individual kid because it's like again personal anecdote i didn't get a lot of the things that i needed that you know dan goes out of his way to make sure that you know his kids and grandkids get Um, And yet that will force you to develop skills in other areas. And sometimes you have to build, um, build those positive structures in yourself later on in life, which is also a good skill because you have to do it consciously. So there is still good things that can come out of that. 
um, that lack. I don't know that there's any clear dividing line between what a young girl and a young boy needs to be healthy and to develop strong identity and to feel like they have a voice. I totally agree with Kyla that temperament has something to say about how much of these things each person wants. And I think that most things, you know, I'm not a psychologist. We need a PhD here to, to tell us how it really works. I think that mothers can give their kids almost everything they need, and fathers can give kids almost everything they need. I do think negative same-gender role models can do something specifically unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that is often what teenagers and young 20s are dealing with. They're looking for a different type of authority than the same gender role model that they had. Okay. Well, both of you touched on this, and so it perfectly segues into my next question for the room. And how does temperament slash personality influence our relationship with authority does is it is it you know like 90 20 is it just you know as you're growing up 90 20 90 10 what am i talking about like how when if you're an introvert or if you're an extrovert if you're a a people pleaser not a people pleaser how does your temperament cause you to interact and and try to get what you want from it or what you need from authority or how to skirt around it is it just temperament driven or is there other other factors at play um, being a people pleaser is definitely driven by authority. That's that's driven by your well, basically like um, and um, a caregiver who is not emotionally intelligent, and then requiring you to ba- basically emotionally cater to their needs. And if you're if you're um, introduced to that at a young age, that becomes your go-to coping mechanism for dealing with people and I don't think that is a temperament per se that's um, um, that's nurture not nature not nature I feel like a survey course uh, survey survey level course on like how personalities develop and I remember that they would never go higher than 50 percent for the nature and nurture question they never they never uh, the, the PhD teaching the class never, allowed us, never suggested any of the, the big uh, personality traits um, were ever slanted like 80, 20, 90, 10. It was always, you know, this can be influenced up to about 45% or up to about 50% by your, your, your chromosomes or by your, your, your environment. Um, personally, armchair studying of temperaments over the years, I think there's dozens and dozens and dozens and and of all those different kinds of temperaments, I'm sure there, there's you know seven, eight billion nuanced versions of those. I do know from listening uh, to people who, who whose livelihood, whose expertise is the human psyche and and temperament and and early childhood development, that we ask ourselves different questions. Um, Kyle, you were just talking about the person who asks themselves the question, "How do I please this person?" Well, that's a, that is unique to certain kinds of temperament, and I'm not sure whether that something comes out of the womb, like I just want to make everybody happy, or a, a situation presents itself and a coping mechanism grows so they can survive, and what the combination is between the environment, you know, and and the inherited chromosomes there. Right. Well, and I think definitely there are some people that just are, you know, um, 
they definitely have a temperament for caring for others. And, you know, I think that um, that's the kind of temperament that tends to be taken advantage of in that situation and then turns into a people pleaser because they already have that natural bent towards taking care. But then, you know, the person in authority over them really, really took advantage of that. And so then it's now a defense mechanism so that they can be safe by making sure that they over please everybody. And, you know, and that can go you know, kind of too far. And then you end up being um, in a place where you can't get your own needs met because, you know, everybody else is more important than you. Right. So I've heard other questions. I've heard the question. The question I ask myself is, my temperament is, what's the right thing to do? I know some temperaments ask the question, how do I stay safe? Some, some temperaments ask the question, how do I avoid conflict? Some ask the question, how do I have fun? And so there are, I, I really think at the base for, for temperaments is a question that we answered a certain way when you were young and it's become like the deep rutted path that we live life on. Now, just real quick then, that, that rut of a question that you that you're starting with, if I can say, when you when you're interacting with people, what's the right thing to do? How do I have fun? How do I protect myself or care for people? Is that just does it just happen to be coincidental that it happens that way because I grew up in a house that was pretty good there was ups and downs and I kind of I think most of the time I start with the question what's the right thing to do and that's been a good thing for me and it's been a bad thing for me but I also have a brother that I don't know that that's his first question I, I don't know really know what it is but I don't think it starts with what's the right thing to do right and so we had the same parents. We we had the, most of the same experiences growing up, but like I, I guess like it, it seems like maybe it, it's a more of a coin flip than than a uh, an environment when it comes to the the base question that you end up having when you interact with authority or circumstances. So you had your experiences from your place in the birth order. And your brother had his experiences from a different place in the birth order. So actually, you had totally different experiences. It's kind of like, you know, when JFK was shot, um, <laughs> you could have been standing on the grassy knoll and know what the puff of smoke was all about. You could have been up in the in the window with the sniper and seen what was going on there. Or you could have been down, you know, by the car and just seen it as it happened. Um, That's such like a small, if I can use this degree of difference in point of view though. Right, but it changes everything. Somebody standing on the grassy knoll would know whether or not there was a second shooter. And somebody was up there in the in that uh in the window would know whether there was a lone shooter, whether there's other people there. Like like that just that little bit of different perspective totally changes the experience. You're sitting next to Kennedy and you're Jackie Onassis, you have a totally different experience with your husband's brains on your lap. Um, then, then if you're in the crowd and you just see the president fall over, just that little so so place of in birth order, gender, uh, the age of your parents, exactly, uh, what house you lived in, how much money your parents were making when you were an adolescent, you know, uh, which was there a sickness in the family? Was it your sickness? Like that perspective can totally change the question you start asking yourself, because I know people who have parents who have. Uh, substance abuse problems and the older one will talk about how 
they constantly were trying to keep everybody safe. And the second, third, fourth child will say, yeah, we got to do whatever we wanted. Same situation, same parents, totally different perspective. So anyway, where you sit sometimes can utterly change the experience you're having. I think that's a fair point. I never really thought about it that way. Like just like I I heard this analogy once that if you have a, a flight from L.A. flying to New York and they change the degree by of the angle by like one or two degrees, you'll end up 40 miles north or 40 miles south. Right. And it's like, yeah, you guys start off in the same place with the same childhood, but give that 10, 20, 30 years, you could be in a very different place. That's exactly why we're talking about authority. If you don't pay attention to it and you're just one or two degrees off, you can wind up 50 miles from where you wanted to go. <laughs> that's why That's why. who told you that to, is so important to us because we are trying to be as careful as possible with the answer to that question. Yeah, it's it's like we said earlier, it's very nuanced. And I think it's so nuanced that oftentimes you can just completely breeze past the fact that you know, every situation is nuanced. Authority can be extremely nuanced. And unless you're coming to the table with that very specific idea in mind, it'd be really easy to miss somebody's point and assume or that they have a bad intention or to, to assume that somebody's coming from a negative place just because the the, the nuance that you're not trying to look for is missing yeah you can't see it from their perspective yeah yeah so having open mind is kind of an important thing when you're talking about authority and interacting with it hugely and i hope the tone of our conversation as we do these podcasts acknowledges as as much as possible that we're giving our perspective from our seat at the table and that there are like i said seven billion other perspectives um, and we're not offering answers we're asking trying to ask the right questions fair and in the spirit of that, uh, as we wrap up this first question here as to what is authority, I want to ask, does having authority or submission to something actually matter? Do we need it? Or is it something that just occurs because of right. life? My very cheap two cents to that question is this. It occurs to me that if authority resides solely inside of an individual— and that person can only conceive of possibilities, dreams, potentials, good and bad, um, at the at the furthest point in their ability, their intellect, their creativity. Uh, um, but if you choose to pay attention to authority outside of yourself, you now have information, data, experience, wisdom, care good and bad stuff that goes beyond what is created inside of you, which offers you so much more potential um, as you grow up. So I think, yes, external authority is a necessary part of healthy um, development as a human being. The problem is, of course, what constitutes healthy authority. Yeah, and we're going to get there and touch on that. Um, So that's a good point. No, as some people often say, you know, if you're an island unto yourself, you can only do so much. You can only reach so far. So having authority kind of expands the possibilities a little bit. Yeah. Not just um, 
for for possibility's sake, but also submitting to authority can also offer protection against you know different whether physical or mental or if you have um, you know maybe somebody in your life that's uh, a a an emotional support and you're you're having issues you can go to that authority and and yeah. get some perspective and some and some covering if you will from maybe negative experiences yeah well, if you choose if you choose to to cultivate and honor an authority um, outside of yourself you have just greatly increased your options both in good times and in bad times fair well I think that's a pretty good place to, to, to stop for this first question. So we're going to move on to our next one here. Okay, so the next question that we want to tackle, or at least try to put some decent material out for people to think about is, what qualifies as an authority? And so to, to start off the conversation on this, I'd like to ask, why do authorities take shape? Is there a social reason? Is there a personal reason? Or is it just kind of random cosmic, order disorder stuff well we need some we need some high level trial development uh, people to chime in on this but uh, every every infant uh, experiences authority um, as soon as they're capable of of taking in information in the womb um, they are living in a hostile environment if somebody's addicted to something they're living in a in a nurturing environment if the mother and the father and or the father are very uh, cognizant of what the baby needs so authority begins you know working on that on that unborn baby um, pretty early on in fact there's even an authority before the conception depending on who gets to, to contribute you know the DNA you know if I'm if I got uh, you know the smartest woman who's ever lived having a a baby with Shaquille O'Neal you know I'm going to have options <laughs> uh and so so there's an authority in the gene pool uh unfortunately there is an authority in the society you're born into um women probably is the most pervasive longest running um uh negative to be born a woman and a lot of times and places was just to not have as many options as a man. Um, so yeah, there's all kinds of authority that come to bear um, prior to uh, somebody even being born. But I think we're talking about the authorities that people have in their lives that lend themselves toward who they become. And so a, a baby uh, learns very early um, by the responses that they're crying and their discomfort gets. Now, it's fascinating to watch different babies respond to exactly the same care. You can have one child who screams and they get all the care they want, and they're willful and they're curious and they're like, they're energetic. And then you have a complacent baby who just is totally happy all the time. And of course, the one baby's good baby, the other baby, you know. And so, <laughs> so authority, authority, man, it's. It, you're right. It, is, it does seem to be like a cosmic hodgepodge of chromosomes and environment and experiences. And, uh, man, I think sometimes the smallest event can nudge a person in a direction. That, that just form, cascades like a butterfly effect. That exactly. That, that helps form their, temper, their temperament. Um, God, that makes, like, I'm a parent. 
So it freaks me out that, you know, I might do something at some point in time that's <laughs> negative, hopefully positive, but making it, it may be negative, that, like, cascades my child's development into something that, that that would be a negative for them. That's, like, freaky to think about. I know, but it's impossible not to. A lot of people, and I'm not trying to brag, say, Dan, Karen, you're you're pretty good parents. Um, but if you want to talk to any of my grown-up kids, they will have hours and hours of material of things that, that cascaded into negative parts of their experience. Not because we wanted to, but because there's no way to be the perfect parent. But yes, um, authority is is a constantly acting on, on people. Um, and people's response to that authority then prepares them for their next encounter with authority and so on and so forth. Okay, I guess that makes sense. You know, you have, if, if a child starts with a positive interaction with authority, you know, between one and five. That can go a long way. And then, you know, they come to maybe a negative authority and maybe like an uh, early school teacher or something. You know, they have five years of, I'll just say mostly positive experience with authority that they can then um, juxtapose against the negative authority and they can then start to gauge how to interact and what and kind of maybe the types of authority that they're going to give more quote uh, authority or, or, or influence to. Yeah, psychiatrists will tell you that people who all have the same needs, they just have in different proportions. We all have the need to be loved, to be included for significance. You know, we have we have the need to express ourselves. We have the need to connect, and so many more things. We just don't get all those things in the same priority order, and so we wind up with different temperaments and making different choices and and having different life experiences. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like, uh, I guess, to kind of answer that that question is what how, why do authorities take shape? It's kind of just a natural progression of interaction. I do think I do think the temperament that that seminal question we ask ourselves is largely set in the direction it's going to go in the first several years of a child's life. Um, I I do think the first experiences become the expected experiences, and the expected experiences create a rut. Um, mm, that's a good point. And so. What happens earlier is super important. You can change things. Things can change, but but there is a reason why I'm 56 and still asking myself the question, you know, what is the right thing to do? I've thought about this for decades. I keep coming back. So I have a, I have a mom who I would call she's German and English, wonderful mom, but very organized, shall I say, controlling. We had lists on the wall of chores. We did the same thing every single day. Uh, we had the same food each day. A lot of militant, uh, not to say ritual, but militant habits in the family. Um, and so I kept looking for this event with my mom that made me always ask, you know, I got to do the right thing all the time because I thought with all that, all that controlling discipline, it must be her. And then it just, I just couldn't find it. And then one day I remembered being in kindergarten and playing on the playground with my friends and I had a new jacket and I had let it come off and I was playing tug of war with a friend and my dad came onto the playground and grabbed me and grabbed the jacket and very firmly, kind of scary, told me, we pay good money for that jacket. I need to take better care of it. And that is the earliest thing I can think of where I made the decision, okay, 
I better do the right thing. And, oh. and so that's, I'm sure there's lots of other things, but that's the one I keep coming back to. So it was never my mom with all that militant routine. It but maybe was, it was enforced. It like, was like that you had, you had the, the seed, if you will, planted by that one event. And then, you know, it's Tuesday. What's the right thing to do on Tuesday? It's Friday. What's the right thing to do on Hold Friday? On, let, let me tell you. Tuesday, I had cereal for breakfast every Tuesday. <laughs> and Tuesday, we cleaned the upstairs. Um, there was a bathroom and bedrooms upstairs. And don't think that that means like making your bed. We made our beds every morning. Hospital corners, of course. Um, that was a Tuesday. <laughs> wow, the fact that you can remember. I don't have to remember. There's only seven days in a week. Touche. <laughs> for 20 years. I went home. Oh. I, I, we, when we took our kids back the first time, when they were like 10 and 8, to visit um, grandparents in Philadelphia, we sat down for breakfast. It was like a, a Friday. And a fried egg and toast appeared in front of me. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> That's Friday's breakfast. <laughs> you know, I personally really like routine. I like knowing what I'm doing. But I could see how having, you know, a, the same loop every week, seven days, could be monotonous. Okay, but yes. So this is, I'm trying to be transparent so we can move this conversation forward. It wasn't monotonous. It was normal. So when oh, I encounter okay. people who can't do the right thing or the same thing three or four times in a row, I'm, when I was younger, I was like, what the heck's going on here? This person's, a, you know, an idiot. Like I do, it was just a normal to me. Mm. I didn't know about other normals, and so oh, okay. that yeah. that took a while for me to become a decent listener and have different have empathy because I thought everybody <laughs> did that. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. Oh. So we should ask here: What things do constitute authority in the course of a human life? I want, maybe we could just take turns talking about uh, different kinds of things. You know, like. If you have an encounter with a policeman when you were really young, a good teacher, an abusive parent, uh, a, a great grandparent, aunt or uncle, friend, you know, like, like what are the things that we have seen exercise authority that has meant something, good or bad? Uh, one that comes to mind is, it is really, and it was kind of benign, but it's, it's like it's something that stuck with me over the years. We were we were having dinner at the dinner table once. I was probably in my mid-teens, late teens. And we we were having some people live with us that were just down on their luck. And I was I took my clothes upstairs and I got up the ironing board and I was ironing my clothes and at the dinner table one of the people I was staying with us called me a nerd for for ironing my clothes. And I was just trying to take good care of him. And my dad chimed in and said, hey, no, he's he's not a nerd. He's just taking care of his things. That, that's a proper thing to do. That that's, that's good behavior. And so it was interesting to me because as I look back on it, I had an account because this woman that said that was older than me, probably twice my age. And so she was a type of authority, older person trying to tell me something that I was doing was, you know, nerdy or or. Um, frowned upon not not an okay behavior because it's not cool and then my dad was a counterpoint authority that said hey 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 wait a second wait a second wait a second and so it gave me a lot of 
like I, I don't know it, it gave me an opportunity to see authorities at play protecting somebody one was trying to demean the other was trying to build up and encourage and so it was it was a negative and a positive experience at the same time and it's just one of those weird little authority interactions that I kind of just kept with me as I as I grew up how about you Kyla um, so on a regular basis, I work a wonderful job and I'm a caregiver and I work in a house with three lovely mothers who take excellent care of their kids and they're very kind in as many interactions as they can be. Um, and just the, um, emotional intelligence that they bring to parenting, um, really shows me like the positive aspect of authority and I'm saying that coming from a place where I didn't receive any of that, um, or very little, I should say, not to say that my mother is an evil person by any means, um, but she didn't have all the tools necessary. And so when I see, you know, on a regular basis, the kindness and um, consistent um, emotional maturity of these women, um, that just reiterates to me that there is such a thing as positive authority, and it gives me hope um, you know, for the future and, and gives me something to look for in other people and, and try to determine, like, you know, try to help me determine what's, what's positive authority and what, you know, help distinguish between, between the two, you know. So it kind of sounds like you're, you're, you're looking at the quote unquote, what qualifies as, as authority as the, as the interaction and hopefully therefore the fruit being positive. And that's kind of how you are looking at what authority is and what qualifies as authority. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we could cast a wide net, and we should cast a wide net. A lot of things have authority in people's lives. Um, name about 10 things. Is no means a, an exhaustive list. You know, you can read your horoscope in the newspaper, and that can have authority. You could be somebody that loves the Bible or the Koran or the Book of Mormon. You could be somebody that loves museums. You stare at art, and you get epiphanies because some artist really moves you. Um, there's authorities that are out there in the world. You know, there's pop culture. There's famous people. There are well-schooled uh, philosophers and, 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 um, or, or public speakers. I hesitate to say politicians. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I know politicians have authority, and some people just blindly follow, but that's, that's a conversation from the day, I guess. Um, there's, there's peer pressure, which is good. A lot of time and bad some of the time. Um, there, there are obviously there's friends, there's parents, there's sisters, there's brothers. There are a lot of things that people look to f and give authority to um, in the course of their lives. And it's, it's really interesting. Some are inanimate objects mm -hmm. and some of them are, are people. And, and that's, that's a good point. Actually, I don't know why this keeps happening, but that leads into one of my next questions is, how are like how do you derive an authority for your life like how do you is, pick an authority yeah like what what happens like you obviously have temperaments you have people looking at the fruit as kyla said you know so when when you're when you're going through your life and you have your formative years and you have your experiences and you come across a new authority like maybe it's a positive one maybe it's a negative one when you think it's positive it turns out to be negative and or vice versa like you're going through life and you're at a certain point you start picking the authorities that you ab ascribe to 
Now, you, you might not be able to do it with all of them. You know, if you're in a government situation, you're going to be under that government's authority. But a lot of authorities, you you pick as as you as you Absolutely. as you move through life. That is the purpose of this podcast. Who told you that? And not just after we ask who, then we want to ask whether that 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 who or it could be a what even. Um, if it should have that kind of authority, has anybody ever looked behind the curtain? You know, if Dorothy had never looked behind the curtain, nobody would have known there was a little man pulling levers. That's a very uh, important coming-of-age experience to have when you realize that your parents aren't perfect or that your not-so-great parents aren't all bad. Um, I think um, that there are healthy things we can teach people about how to choose authorities, how to vet authority, and then how to submit to authority with wisdom. So um, it, it is a lifelong process. I think people in different stages of life have different ways of doing this. You know, the the, the, the toddler, the grade school kid, they're pretty much doing what they're told. Um, puberty, adolescence, we start asking questions. We get a peer group, and all of a sudden we have a different variation on on sexuality than we got from mom and dad. We have a different variation on what's cool and fun than we got from mom and dad. And we start making choices as to whether the new authority is going to usurp the old authority or we're going to maybe merge the two and have some kind of modified. But, um, yeah, how we choose authority and then what we do with it after we've chosen it is the essence of this conversation. Fair. Okay, cool. Well, I think we, we've given a good bit of conversation as to what qualifies as an authority and if anybody wants to correct me go for it it sounds like it's you know things that happen to you things that you experience and later in life things that you that you pick to choose that have authority in your life and how you make your choices so unless there's something else somebody wants to add to that i think we're going to move on to our next section that's uh, how do you judge authority, healthy or unhealthy? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, I, I love this conversation. I was, a, I have been a pastor for thirty years, and this is this is basically what I think a pastor is trying to do. Um, to to start someplace that everybody know, everybody's aware of, that has any kind of Christian Judeo Christian upbringing, as you know, a tree by its fruit. Kyla's already talked about that several times. And I'd love to hear from you guys how you have experienced authority. Authority can be kind of like a hypothesis. Okay, I'll trust this person. Then the hypothesis is tested. That that authority acts. And you go, oh, that was good. Oh, that was bad. That was, I don't know. And so you have all this data that comes in. And then you evaluate it. And then you decide whether to continue to submit to the authority, adjust your relationship with that authority, or discard that authority. And I think people are constantly in this cycle of, of um, testing, gathering data, evaluating, and then making a new choice. Yeah, I I had about a, a four year period of my life not too not not too many moons ago, that was very much like that. We were part of a a, a multi level marketing business, and when we first entered into it, the authority seemed really positive there seemed to be a lot of good stuff and then throughout the the years of being a part of it the, we'd have 
weird things come up where different advice being given to us and we would try that advice and me and my wife would quickly within a couple of weeks decide that that was bad advice and we should not listen to that portion of their advice and so we would remove that section of authority and we give it back to ourselves and we'd be the ones to decide how we were going to do that and but we would try to listen to the rest of their authority and so we, we did this for like i said about three four years and basically towards the end of it we realized that we gave them way too much authority when we started and by the time we left if i could use percentages here they only really had like a five or ten percent authority as to what we think they should they should be teaching on and what they what they should be talking about versus this wide gamut of of everything that has to do with life and you're absolutely right when you say you know you 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 have a, a hypothesis about authority you test it you see if it's a working hypothesis whether positive or negative and then you evaluate the results and then you you know adjust course and and you know attack back and forth if I can use a sailing term. So are you saying you you submitted to this authority and over time you decided that it was largely unhealthy authority and then you removed yourself from the influence of this authority? Yeah, absolutely. Now, being on the other side of that, there was good advice about business, but we we let them give us way too much advice on, on the rest in, of in life. other areas, in, yeah. So... We that was that a happens, hard lesson. That happens in religious circles way too much. You know, um, how do you get marriage advice from somebody who doesn't have a good marriage or is not married? How do you get financial advice from somebody who his finances are not in order? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you get relational advice from somebody that has no friends? Like, like there's something about observing the fruit of somebody's life in a specific area and going, okay, yeah, I, I should ask their advice about this. Yeah. If you, you if know? you went to a marriage counselor and they've been divorced three times, you might want to <laughs> ask yourself if you should listen to them. Yes. However, I know a wonderful counselor who is divorced and I would take relational advice from her every day of the week. So it's not just a one for one there. <laughs> that, that's fair. It's okay. just, you know, using a, a Oh no, a I'm, not, I'm not trying to correct. I'm just saying, I just want to give props to the idea that a lot, a lot of relationships begin under false pretenses. Yeah. Um, women oftentimes get this short end of the stick. Sometimes there's religious reasons that have nothing to do with whether people are compatible. And there is uh, a large section of of um, our culture that believes d- divorce is, is always wrong, always evil. And the truth is, a lot of times, divorce is simply two people realizing that they didn't know what they were doing 20 getting on the boat yeah 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 how about you kyla can you think of a authority and weighing it's good or bad healthy unhealthy and then adjusting um i've had quite a few um jobs where i've had funky bosses like that where it's like um so i'm i'm a hairdresser as well as a caregiver and um the last salon i worked in was kind of like that where um, there was a lot of education opportunities and um, really good pay and way to, you know, work up in the company. Um, but then um, my boss was just, you know, really controlling. And so, but I didn't really see that at first because she was, you know, a nice lady and all my coworkers like her. And, you know, um, so it took like 
a year and a half for me to kind of go like, okay, like this isn't actually healthy. We're, um, you're asking a lot of us, um, and you're not requiring us to take any time for ourselves. In fact, you're doing opposite of that. You're, you know, really pushing us constantly, um, and not making sure that we're we're healthy, you know, and that's something that's kind of key for like a good relationship and good like authority is to you know have that authority be checking in to make sure that you're healthy and doing okay um not just pushing you constantly um so that was kind of a major one for me and I've had that happen a couple times in several different jobs where it was like you know went along okay and everybody was kind of um okay with it and then for me it's just like okay well um there's too many restrictions and that's a big red flag for me. Like if, if you're trying to control a large aspect of my life that doesn't concern you, um, that's a big red flag. And that's where I kind of draw the line as far as like, um, well, part of, you know, um, where I find authority being unhealthy. So interesting you talk about the initial section of time being a good thing. I think so many temperaments are wired to want to be, be in relationship with healthy authority, that we often find something that looks good and we tolerate things for a while before our evaluator kicks in, kicks in and we start going, oh, wait a second. Uh, to be religious for a second, um, I have several questions for uh, my, my area of religion is, is Christendom. Uh, I have several questions for Christendom when the long-term result of the message of the church um, is largely a fear message with an unknown destination. And then the things that are, that are difficult for church people to have a different perspective on are things outside of their experience. I don't know what to do with my homosexual friends. I don't know what to do with Muslims. I don't know what to do with, with, with new ideas, liberals. They just drive me crazy. Um, the, the, the intolerance and um, the alignment with some political movements by Christians. And a lot of you think I'm t- think, talking about America, but you can go back and look at uh, pre-Holocaust Germany. You can look at um, the original move to communism un- under Lenin. Um, people have Christ- uh, uh, people with Christian faiths, Greek Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, have aligned themselves with authorities that have borne some of the most heinous fruit in the history of humanity. Uh, not even to begin to talk about what women have had to endure at the hands of the church. Um, you know, the Salem witch tri- trials come to mind. Uh, the way in which women would be examined by um, the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, just, just, it's fascinating to me that we don't look at the fruit of different church, um, churches and different, uh, different centuries and go, okay, that's an authority we need to stay, steer clear of. Um, but it's interesting. We, we, we initially want to stay true to authority and submit to it. And then we have to be honest with ourselves. Hey man, something's rotten in Denmark. We better make an adjustment here. Now, real quick, it actually leads to one of my questions is, you know, Christendom, the, the idea, my understanding, is you're trying to save people. Save them, save them from hell. So if the result is saving people from this horrible place where they're going to live eternally, 
is it is it do you just judge authority by the results that they're trying to get or is there is the methodology something that would need no i'm talking about the kind of people that raise that rise to places of influence and the every man the every woman and the way they make decisions in life when they're controlling narrative their meta narrative is i need to do x y and z so that i don't go to hell it's a god that, that, that has the capacity to torment people forever and a fear to be on the wrong side of that God. We can discuss the theology. I'm talking about the kind of people and the kind of decisions that get made by those people that come out, c- comes out the other end. Not the theology ex- itself, but the, the dogmatism, the fear-mongering, the way in which you know, a, a, a nice family that goes to church, they wind up with, they have six kids, and one of them winds up being gay, and they have no idea what to do with that kid. Um, their oldest kid, you know, gets divorced. Oh, no, we have to hide that. I have a friend, um, she got pregnant outside of uh, being married, and she had to go away while she was pregnant to another state, have the baby, put the baby up to adoption, and then come back so nobody would know about it. So, and we can find literally millions of stories of the fruit of that narrative saving people from hell. And I want to suggest that there's enough negative fruit to, to, to suggest that we should reverse engineer that puppy, take it apart, and find out whether that is an honest, an honest um, meta narrative for Christianity or if that meta narrative of salvation from hell came from someplace other than the, the the focal point of Christianity, Jesus. Okay, so short answer: no results are not all that matter. <laughs> no, the result. Who, who knows if who knows if people are going to heaven and hell? Nobody's got video footage. That's that is a that is a, that's a hypothesis that somebody set up that has become dogma and doctrine. And we, now we have the Billy Graham numbers or the Catholic Church numbers or, or whatever the conversion numbers. But those numbers are all, the, are all theoretical unto a doctrine and a theology. I'm talking about the real-life choices, personalities, relationships that come out the other end. Who are you when, when, the, when the service is over on Sunday until the service starts again the next Sunday? It's that data I'm looking at and going, hey, man, this whole idea that um, knowing Jesus brings life I want to question that hypothesis if this is the fruit coming out the other end. Who knows who's getting saved from hell? I don't know. Okay. So having there, there, there's more than one result, more than one, um, more, more than one point of data that needs to be evaluated when you're judging authority as yes. the quality or healthy or unhealthy. Perfect. Like uh, right now there's a great show. Everybody's watching the umbrella Academy and the dad taught, his kids to be exceptional and they had exceptional gifts. And so they oftentimes saved the world. But besides their ability to save the world, nothing else in their lives worked right. They didn't know how to do relationship. They didn't know how to self-manage. They didn't, they weren't honest with themselves. They abused substances. Like it's a, it's a good picture of you can, you can train a child in one thing really, really well, but there's other points of data to evaluate, to decide whether that was good authority or not. I just watched a show this morning with my son uh, a movie, and one of the key lines is, "You can be a hero and still be wrong." Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I think that makes a good point. You know, we often look at heroes, Billy Graham's, um, 
I, I can't think of any. Yeah, like, like a Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa. Uh, a local hero like a John F. K- JFK. Um, um, sports guy. What's his name? Tiger Woods. You know, amazing golfer. The rest of his life fell apart. Fell apart. <laughs> you know, he he was a hero in a, of yeah, of a yeah. sense, but he was not somebody whose life day in and day out that you'd want to emulate. And that's something that I think as American culture, we have a hard time understanding. We have heroes, we have icons, we have people that we put on the pedestal because they're absolutely amazing at something. Right. They're these heroes, but we don't judge their life on a day-to-day basis. We judge them based upon how many points they shot in a baseball game or how many knockouts in a UFC ring. And we don't look at the relationships and the other data points, as you said, of their life when we're judging if they're, you know, the person you actually want to follow and emulate and makes your life. That's a really good point. When judging authority, an individual needs to ask themselves, what are the most important data points that they're interested in? And that should be a large part of who they choose or what they choose to give authority to. If you want to be a millionaire, maybe there are businessmen, cutthroat, you know, and justifies the means, classes and courses and things somebody wants to do. But if you want to leave the world a better place and you found it, that's probably not the right authority for you to be under. So so you're right. The data points you're interested in should have something to say about the kind of authority you choose to submit to. Yeah, that's a really good point. Thank you for listening to our conversation about authority. We here at Who Told You That will be introducing you to concepts like thought tools, those categories, systems, and values in the world around us that we absorb and adopt as our normal. Meta narrative, the prime controlling story we find ourselves in, we fit all that we learn and experience into this overarching narrative. Prethought, those parts of our meta narrative and those pieces of our thought tools that we have never slowed down long enough to examine honestly and truthfully to see if they are consistent with truth. What authority is, who has it, and how it works is a direct product of the thought tools we use and the meta-narrative we are in. Join us next time as we discuss how authority births our story and how story influences our choices. Every decision that humanity makes as individuals or as community is based on our choice of which authority to listen to, our ability to honestly judge sources of authority and the fruit that grows under their watch, is crucial to the direction we move as individuals and communities. Friendly reminder, you can get in touch with us at whotoldyouthatpod at gmail.com. We look forward to y'all tuning in to future episodes. We also encourage you to engage with us on our socials to have conversations with us. While we intend for these conversations to be entertaining, we truly wish to dialogue with you on these topics as you take your own journey down the rabbit hole. See you next time. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of who told you that is prohibited.